You know, that's like an episode of Radio Lab. That's a whole different thing. Yeah. <laughs> We're here at our friends uh, Libby and Tristan's place, walking around their yard. They've got a whole bunch of gardening stuff going on here, um, including uh, well a bunch of plants they've got set up for their winter garden with their hoops over there. And over here I'm walking to, I think, the most exciting place, which is the duck area. Well, which this whole yard's a duck area, I guess. But here you can hear some ducks. They don't like that I'm interrupting their bath time, I think. But they are ducks. And it did make them make more noise. It did make them make more noise, which is kind of exciting. Since, you know, trying to capture the sound of exploring here. Oh. Anyway. Establishing audio. Establishing audio. Not sure if there's much more to say now that we've gotten ducks in it, though. Hello. Welcome to Foss and Crafts. A podcast about free software, free culture, and making things together. With my co-host Morgan. And my co-host Chris. So today we're talking about, I guess it's another one of those episodes where it's more on the crafting end, um, and it's kind of on the, we're figuring out what we're doing, we're very early in the figuring out how to do anything in this kind of crafting area direction, I think, for Morgan and I at least. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're also joined today by a guest, our friend Tristan, who has much more experience in this topic than we do, and has helped us find our way as we bumble through. Hello, I am Tristan. <laughs> <laughs> would, would you like to introduce yourself in any more depth than that, or do you just want to be Tristan? Uh, I'm Tristan, and uh, I live in the same town as Chris and Morgan, and uh, I'm really into gardening. Um, and I'm also into free software, so we have a few things in common. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, um, Tristan and their uh, partner Libby are partly how we ended up here in East Hampton. We ha have a number of friends that are in this area, and uh, the and 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 it it's nice to know if you're moving to an area uh, that you that you will be surrounded by nice friends. And uh, and so yeah, um, yeah. So so let's let's I guess talk about gardening and getting into gardening. So. Um, well, for Morgan and myself, I think, as in terms of gardening, we just stumbled into it. Like, you know, uh, prior to this point, I think we just kind of killed houseplants for years after years, basically. <laughs> well, I did have, I was forced to do a lot of gardening as a child, as many children are. Um, my parents enjoyed having a garden, but did not enjoy doing the work themselves. But that's what you've got three kids for. <laughs> So for most of my life, I hated gardening because it was a chore that I had to do. Yeah, um, I didn't do that much. We did have a couple of gardeny things when I was younger, but not really any intense gardening. And I think growing up until like moving into adulthood before we started doing any gardening this year, like our main experience. Okay, I'm going to start off the episode with an anecdote of Morgan and I, uh, we were in a, I think a pet supply store at one point. Mm -hmm. And this woman was like, you should buy, you know, I see you're buying uh, uh, catnip. You should buy, you should grow catnip in a pot. 
And I just said, oh, no, we just we just massacre plants. We just murder <laughs> plants. So that's not a good idea. And like the woman kind of looked in like a very sternly horrified look. And then, I, and then <laughs> Morgan asked, well, I forget exactly what the phrasing was. It was like, what do you do? Or yeah, so you... what do you do? Because we were making small talk and then it got super awkward. <laughs> and she said, uh, I'm a horticulturalist, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so she she did not look pleased at our we massacred uh, plants yeah or maybe a botanist definitely in the well i think i think it's more that we like the equivalent of manslaughter plants because we never intentionally killed the plants <laughs> that's right that's right so anyway so this year we did kill a lot of plants but we actually got some to grow um with reasonable uh amounts of success and you know being able to call our friends who knew what we were doing thank you tristan and libby for um did help quite a lot um, but I guess before we get further than that, um, background-wise, uh, Tristan, what's your background is in terms of uh, gardening? Is it something you've done from a young age, or is it something you just picked up as an adult, or or Actually, what? Actually, um, yeah, I, I I gardened as a teenager. Also had a garden. Oh, really? Yeah. Of your own volition or parental imposed gardening? Yeah, it was it was my own garden. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, I was just excited about it i guess and uh i lived in a in an apartment building and it was a secret garden that was in the back in the corner because vegetable gardens were not allowed in our apartment complex only only decorative gardens yeah oh that's that well that does make it more exciting when it's not allowed (laughs) and you're a teenager especially i'm also wondering what distinctions they use to enforce that like would it be okay if you drew if you grew decorative cabbage and then ate it Ooh, yeah i don't know oh yeah and some flowers are edible like if you like you grew some flowers and then you like brought those inside for a salad were you technically violating uh the 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 renting uh agreement quite possibly yeah (laughs) well that's okay because you were flagrantly uh circumventing the rental agreement anyways yeah (laughs) with your secret garden i like it so maybe it's better for Tristan to go first on this before we explain our bumbling bit. Like, since you're you're a person who, because I mean, partly I think having exposure to people who were clearly doing impressive amounts of gardening <laughs> made it feel more appealing. So maybe before yeah. we talk about our embarrassing okay. mistakes, it would be better to hear about like kind of how you got into it as an adult and like what 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 kind of stuff you do in your garden. The state of your garden. Yeah. All right, I'll tell you about the state of our garden. So um, this year we had a big garden, um, and I think that we used almost all of our garden. We have quite a large garden um, as of the last couple years ago, um, where we expanded it even further. We now have um, 18 beds that are three feet by 16 feet. Um, and, and actually it's, I would say it's teetering on, um, what is, what two people are capable of maintaining probably. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) it probably won't be getting any bigger than that. Yeah. Uh, and this year we grew, um, throughout the year, uh, from early spring till, uh, and there's still, uh, vegetables in the garden, uh, as we, um, are preparing for a winter garden as well. All oh, right. Can you can you explain what a winter garden is? Because I never heard of a winter garden, and that'll come up 
in bigger detail later in the show, but I had never heard of a winter garden until you and Libby very excitedly told us about it. Yeah, we're really uh, excited about winter gardening, and we are winter gardening evangelists. So a winter garden is is what it sounds like. It's a garden that you keep in the winter, um, and uh, you cover. It, it's mostly cool weather crops uh, like kale, um, leeks, spinach. Uh, carrots, things like that, uh, and you cover them uh, under plastic uh, throughout the winter, and uh, continue to harvest until the spring. And so, they do the plants mostly stay at the state when you like start kind of covering them, and like it, cause it's kind of like you're refrigerating these crops that you grew for when you want them later, and they just kind of stay fresh in the ground. Is that kind of accurate? Yeah, that's actually that's a really good like succinct explanation of the theory behind it. They grow uh, very little during the winter months um, here at our latitude um, in New England. Um, so they, they do grow a little bit, but but really not much. So yeah, like you said, uh, it's, so, it's almost like it's a gigantic refrigerator. Um, and uh, so for that reason, you need a lot more um, growth on them before um, the days start getting short. Makes sense. I think part of the reason that we hadn't heard about it too is because Chris and I both grew up in the Midwest, and that's a harsher uh, weather zone. So maybe winter gardening isn't quite as uh, feasible. I don't know about that. Like, I don't actually feel like New England weather is that much harsher than the Midwest, like Illinois and Wisconsin. It is a different zone, though. Like, as far as the looking up the weather zones for uh, gardening hmm. because I checked. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that information in front of me, so I can't tell you mm -hmm. the zones <laughs> because as we've discussed on this show before, I'm dyslexic and I don't remember numbers. But is it like specifically a big thing in New England or is, do you think this is just something that's kind of niche that not many people know about Tristan? Yeah, I think it's less common, less commonly practiced um, and it might be getting more popular. Uh, maybe so keep your keep your eyes out for more winter gardens yeah yeah so so i remember uh, a few years ago when i first came in to to visit you all in this area um i i was impressed by just how many kinds of things you were doing like you had some maple trees on your property that you were like uh tapping them and converting them to maple syrup or well you weren't converting them to maple syrup entirely yourself but you like were like basically handing them off to somebody who could do that step of things. But I guess I, I know lots of people who have had maple trees on their property, but I never considered, well, if you have a maple tree on your property, then that means you could, you could probably do that. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we're very into like all different kinds of food production. Um, so like you mentioned, uh, we do make maple syrup from the maple trees in our yard. And uh, we also grow shiitake mushrooms on um, the trimmings from those trees on the logs. Um, and uh, we grow both annual vegetables um, in your typical vegetable garden, but also perennial vegetables um, and uh, fruits. Uh, we have bushes that have berries. Uh, and small fruit trees, a uh, small orchard of fruit trees. And we're also into growing um, some some lesser known uh, perennial varieties uh, like pawpaws, um, hardy kiwis, 
and um, other interesting things. Um, so yeah, and, and we're also into foraging. So uh, we like to go mushroom hunting uh, and foraging for uh, nuts and berries and whatnot in New England here. And for Chris's birthday, uh, they just gifted Chris a tree. Yeah, <laughs> a tree. A persimmon tree. A persimmon. Yeah. Yes. Which we'll we'll see if it lasts through the winter because yeah. it doesn't have any leaves, but most of the trees don't have leaves right now. So hopefully yeah. it's just fall. It's just dormant. Yeah. Yeah. So so I guess um, so Tristan, I have some things I definitely would like to loop back around on on your garden, but maybe let's talk about um, getting into gardening before we get to some more kind of fun uh, success story and interesting details. Uh, so. Um, for Morgan and I, uh, you know, since we don't, we didn't know what we were doing this year, we just kind of had a vague idea that we wanted to do gardening, I think. And like, I, it had started out with, I think, actually, I think it started out more and you can correct. And my memory is not always great. My memory of this is, is that last winter I was like, I think I want to start experimenting with some gardening. And I just like went out and bought some seeds and started mm -hmm. like converting, um, like started putting some dirt in like tiny uh, like um, seed starting things that I tried making yeah. out of aluminum cams, which was a disastrous decision. By yeah, the way. There, there, there was also uh, we had one like ridiculously beautiful day in February when it was like somehow in the fifties or sixties, and Chris was like, "Well, it's spring now," and just went outside and started like planting seeds. And Chris, <laughs> I think I think you should uh, pantomime your seed, your first seed sowing. Experience. Yeah, well, basically, I, I, we had this area where there was a, uh, a deck that we had, or not a deck. There was a, a, uh, um, a shed. A, a shed. Um, since we had just bought our house, and we had this shed, but it had carpenter ants on it, and we were like, well, we don't want those to move over to the house, so we had it torn down, and then we had this well, spot. And also, due to the pandemic, uh, we had, and since we just bought the house, um, a year prior, uh. We had construction going on, and the out the exterior construction, they had gotten to the point where they demolished everything, and then there was a pandemic, and things shut down, and so they demolished everything, but then couldn't start constructing things again. Yeah, so so we just had this space that was, uh, that I mean, that's remained open where the shed was, which was just a bunch of bare dirt, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to go see if things can grow in that, and my, my, main, my main approach was just um, without knowing anything about gardening was, well, if I just dig up dirt and throw seeds into it and then cover it up and yell grow at them, uh, maybe it'll start growing. And Morgan's like, there's nothing's going to survive from that. And a lot did not, but, um, but some did, some did. So we, and there was another area that was not in that dirt patch where uh, I also put in some peas and some leeks and stuff like that. Nothing survived except for in that, um, space under where the, the shed was, which we called the, the resurrection patch. Cause we were like, nothing's going to grow out of this. this well, no, looks... for, at first it was the sad patch. Oh, because... right. First it was a sad patch. We were like, this is the sad patch. Nothing's going to grow out of this. It looks sad. <laughs> Nothing's Nothing. going to grow out of there except for rusty nails. <laughs> yeah, because I like I had just dug out all of these rusty nails from this area, and I'm like, yeah, this is a sad patch, but I'm it's just an experiment to see if things will grow. And then um, quite a lot of turnips grew and some spinach, too. Like, basically, of all the things I planted, spinach and turnips just started appearing. And there was a little bit of clover, too. 
Yeah, some clover. And I think we were just surprised because we didn't really, I just threw an experimental patch of things in there and was like, well, if nothing grows, then I wasted, you know, maybe a couple of bucks on seeds, but like nothing terribly bad happened. Um, And I think it was still somewhat confidence building that even if you just did the worst experiment possible of just overturning dirt throwing seeds into the ground and yelling at them uh, with they still no structure grow. whatsoever no Chris structure just basically whatsoever. took handfuls of all of these kinds of seeds and just mixed them together yep that's right and threw them on the ground and you still can get things so even with that disastrous of approach you can you can get some things to happen um, and then i think after that when the pandemic stuff started happening is when morgan was like oh yeah um i think that's when you're like you know what maybe I'll try to help with some of this gardening stuff. And that's when we... Well, also the fact that you had no clue what you were doing. And I very reluctantly was like, fine, I know how to transplant seed starters and you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Right. Okay. I very angrily helped that first time. Okay. So I I think... uh, I I think there's more kind of next steps, but I'm kind of curious, uh, um, Tristan, so what was your kind of first step into gardening i'm guessing it was less ridiculous than just throwing seeds into the ground as an adult and yelling grow at them but uh um like how did you guys get started basically it's not that far off really (laughs) and and actually i just i'll comment that pretty much every year that's that's almost what we do (laughs) 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 it's not too far off (laughs) <laughs> including yelling at the plants like early style sometimes yeah there was some yelling this year yeah. <laughs> when the carrots like on our third time replanting carrot seeds because they just did not germinate yeah so there was some yelling yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i think uh our first kind of our first serious garden um Many years ago now, maybe 10 years ago, um, you know, it was a long time ago now, but uh, I think, uh, well, I don't remember that much about it, but (laughs) it was a long time ago, but it, but I'll tell you um, a lot of it, uh, a lot of things grew and a lot of things didn't grow. Um, And... um, that still happens uh, to this day in our garden, um, and um, and that's why it's important to grow like a few different things um, to to kind of hedge your bets. Yeah, um, because uh, there's there's a lot of variables in gardening. There it, are a lot of variables. A, uh, can can I get a gut sense about whether or not you feel like this is true? It seems like nothing is a sure-fired thing to grow except for turnips. <laughs> well, I had some terrible turnips this year. Oh, really? They didn't even oh. make. They didn't even make. Uh, oh, bulbs! The yeah. bulbs. They just. It was just like a root, and then oh, like yeah, a, well, a ton of foliage, and we, this we like tapered that, root. But but you can still use the greens, right? Like so that's yeah. true. It's true. Our first ones, we didn't really get much of bulbs out of them, but we got greens. And the second batch, we got a bunch of bulbs, but we we made. Well, I think that. The, the difference between the first batch and the second batch was that the first batch was in that uh, sad patch that turned into the resurrection patch once things actually started growing in it, um, where the ground was more compacted. And the second patch was um, in 
an area that we had done sheet mulching. So basically we planted them in basically loose compost. Mm. So there was like the dirt wasn't as right. compacted. So, yeah. so actually, actually, should we, should we ask, I think, so we actually learned what sheet mulching is from Libby and Tristan. So Tristan, yes. would you like to explain to our audience what sheet mulching is generally as an approach? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you're starting out and you want, you have grass uh, or other plants that are where you want to put your garden, uh, sheet mulching is a great way to make a garden really quickly. Um, you, you lay down cardboard or several layers of newspaper or other kinds of paper. And then uh, you put something on top of that cardboard. Um, usually it's compost, but it could also be wood chips um, or straw uh, or shredded leaves or something uh, basically to weigh it down and act as a, um, a mulch. And this will kill the grass, especially it's especially effective on grass, um, which is a lot of work um, to dig up by hand or even with a rototiller. Uh, and the cardboard uh, just uh, takes care of it in in a matter of um, you do have to wait now. You know, it's not instantaneous, um, but you can you even have to push wet it. the cardboard a bunch, right? Like to, to make sure it'll kind of decompose quickly. Oh, I have I haven't ever wet wetted it because the, oh, rain, really? the rain does that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we spent a lot of time wetting ours, oh, okay. but we, we also did. yeah, but um, we like took a combination of advice from you all and also videos a we watched on the YouTube internet. Videos, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, and that's the other thing I'll say is that um, you'll ever there are as many ways to garden as there are gardeners, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, you'll get all kinds of different advice from different people. And that's okay. Um, and you just have to try it for yourself and see see what works, you know. So yeah, so we we don't water our cardboard when we sheet mulch. And actually, uh, I I um, I uh, I think it might actually. Well, you know, this is my opinion. I think it I think it helps keep the cardboard intact longer, so it's more likely to kill the grass, you know, mm -hmm. if it's uh, stays intact for a little bit longer. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, but but like you said, uh, Chris, the 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 cardboard will eventually decay. Um, but by the time the cardboard decays, the grass is deceased, is dead. And right. that's so, the trick. So that you if you have plants, they also can just like their roots can hopefully dig through the cardboard and uh um Although it, right, it so, did mm -hmm. lead to some really funny looking carrots that we got this year <laughs> because our carrots apparently were unable to to push through the cardboard. So we got some that were kind of like bent and we got a bunch of others that were just like the three or four inches of compost that we had. And then like they had a blunt end. Right. Because they just hit the cardboard and then stopped. Yeah. So in that in those cases, if you want to plant directly into it, um, <clears throat> it works especially well if you have starts that are already like little little plants, you know, um, that come in the little six packs because you can just cut a hole in the cardboard and then pop your plant in that hole. And the grass will poke, poke out a little bit and you'll have to come back and uh, pick those, pick the little blades of grass that come up uh, and mm -hmm. do that uh, several times, but it will eventually weaken the plant, the grass until it uh, is gone. But if you're planting seed, that's a little trickier. Yeah, because, um, yeah, the, the timing can get tricky. 
Um, so, but what you can do is cut a little channel in the cardboard mm -hmm. um, so that the plants can can uh, send their roots down past the cardboard. Um, but yeah. it really depends on like how vigorous the stuff is underneath, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's grass or weeds or whatever. So yeah, it's kind of a planting directly into a recently sheep mulch bed is much easier with starts compared to seeds. But it but uh, as you have shown, it can be done. And well, actually, I'm we had more luck with uh, with seeds than starts in ours. But I think that that's just because we um, we just didn't do our starts right. <laughs> Well, it, oh, yeah. yeah, that's that using the aluminum can thing was a disaster. Like, yeah, it was basically, like, it destroyed the root system trying to get it out of the aluminum can. Oh, okay, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And so, it, it turns out the much better thing to do is either use those plasticky ones that you can push from the bottom and they just push out of there pretty gently, or or basically uh, anything that's tapered as opposed to straight edges. Sure, and also not going to cut your fingers at the edge. <laughs> um, and, yeah. But the the other. Um, the other lesson, I guess, is, uh, the, you know, they have the cardboard papery ones you can use, or you can use egg cartons, uh, like cardboard egg cartons uh, for many tiny little seed starts. Uh, and I didn't really realize that that was an option until uh, later on. Starting on seeds is hard, too. It's really, um, it's really challenging. And um, we we do start seeds, um, and we're pretty set up. We have the proper lighting and heat mats, um, and uh, you know containers and whatnot. And we still sometimes um, have uh, <laughs> catastrophic failures. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, for a beginner gardener, I highly recommend uh, buying your starts from from uh, you know a nursery or whatever. Uh, it's a pretty, instead of being stubborn like us. Instead of trying, yeah. I mean, not that you. I, I think you should. If you're having fun, go for it. Try it. Um, but you're you're much more likely to have success if you buy those starts. Yeah, from a nursery uh, as a beginning gardener. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So actually, I wanted to talk. Uh, I think there's a funny story in there about setting up the uh, sheet mulching that um, Morgan and I did. Uh, I guess we like there's there's things that you don't know when you're starting out. Like uh, we went back and forth. I overcorrected in two completely different directions, and Morgan hit it right on. And then I discouraged Morgan in terms of the amount of mulch we should use. Basically, um, oh. yeah. So uh, well, so so at first I went and went on this website and i did this calculation and you know you're looking at the number of cubic feet because there was a a local area that you know like there's a basically a compost a farm uh, yeah, yeah a compost farm and and like i did the calculation and i did it wrong and it was like i think i did like 10 times the amount of compost that we would have needed for that first run and but i was like Basically, Chris's first calculation was if we had had like a foot of compost <laughs> on all of the beds instead of four inches. Or, and I'm like, I don't or, think that's right. Or just like covered um, our entire yard, which or I our mean, entire we property, including our house, or something like that. Like it was like way too much. I don't know how much it was exactly, but it was too much. Um, so, and then I I talked, and then Morgan does a calculation, ends up with it exactly right, as it turns out. Um, and then I went and talked to, to be our fair. There was a there was a calculator program on there that you just said these are the size of beds that I need. <laughs> that, that's right. <laughs> and this is how thick of 
how thick I want the compost on there. Well, then I talked to our neighbor who was like, yeah, we got a cubic foot of compost and it was just like way too much. And it was just like so much. We couldn't figure out where to put all of it. And I was like, oh my God, we're going to get so much <laughs> compost. So like, I was like more and like put it at like, I think it was like 0.75 cubic feet. No, we got, a, we got one cubic foot. Oh, okay. But, but we I'm like, needed, gonna... but we needed four cubic feet. Right. So I'm like, this is going to be so much though. And then the the truck comes and drums off this like what felt like a, a, an embarrassingly dinky amount, considering it was obvious that the exact amount by that point, if you just did the multiplication in your head, was exactly what Morgan had calculated. But yeah. Um, and then because it was the pandemic and we are definitely not alone um, in being, you know, first time gardeners this year specifically. That compost farm ran out of compost. Mm. So we weren't able to get more compost. <laughs> yeah, they, they said, uh, yep, this has never happened before. Never, never run out of compost, but uh, like, especially not this fast in the year. But I guess, you know, I mean, it was a, yeah, I guess it's compost and toilet paper. It was like compost and toilet paper time, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, bleach. And bleach. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so we eventually, uh, well, we eventually, what we did was we bought the much more expensive bags of compost to finish off the rest of the thing. And we just used some spare wood that was laying around to basically put the edges on the, the um, basically holding down the cardboard and the, uh, and the compost. Um, and that seemed to be fine, right? Like we managed to get a uh, number of things growing and like the turnips did grow through it. Like the turnips mm-hmm. were fine. Um, the and, tomatoes grew through it. Yeah. The tomatoes grew through it. Oh man. Uh, yeah. So I, so Tristan said, uh, you know, that you, you have to plant, like you have to try a lot of things and some things go really well and some things don't. Well, the tomatoes were the unexpected success this year, but also like really they were also unexpected. the unplanned success <laughs> because we didn't do our own tomato starts. Our neighbor, um did a bunch of tomato starts for themselves and just figured well about two-thirds of my of my seed starts always die anyways so i'm just gonna like plant three times as many seed starts as i think i'm gonna need and then they all survived (laughs) so she comes over with like this giant flat of tomato starts and is like we ran out of room (laughs) do you want these and and we had a bunch of areas in our garden that things failed, or so we thought. Some things came up after we planted the tomatoes, and then like we're just fighting for sunlight. Yeah, um, I think uh, um, yeah, and then we were like, well, a bunch of these things are going to die because they're tomatoes. So, mm-hmm. and then every single one of them succeeded and dramatically, and we ended up with like. I don't remember. We calculated it was like we 60 like pounds t- or tomatoes or something like that. Like Yeah, at, we had at, so many tomatoes. Yeah, I, I, I understand it was a tomato-heavy year for you all at uh, your house as well. Uh, Tristan, is that right? Yeah, we had a lot of tomatoes, which also, again, was unplanned. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so what do you do when you end up with more produce than you can possibly eat within the period in which you get that produce like you got to do like you could just let it go to waste and you can give it away um i guess the the but there are also other options uh to to be able to keep things around uh so um 
Uh, I'm going to throw this one at Tristan again. What's your preferred preservation option so that in the moment where you have all this extra produce that uh, you can maybe enjoy it at a future time? Yeah. So uh, enter thus enters the art of food preservation, mm-hmm. um, which is also an interest of ours. Um, so there's all different, you know, methods of food preservation. There's fermentation, there's cooking, there's canning, there's freezing, um, drying, you know. Um, and in the case of tomatoes, actually, uh, we do we do a lot of canning. Um, we make sauce and uh, we can it in pints. Um, but also uh, the other thing we do is freeze the tomatoes whole. Mm. with the skins on and everything, Um, which is I had never considered or heard of. Um, And then we read about it in a book called Stocking Up, which is about food preservation. Uh, We'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, check it out, Stocking Up. And um, it's uh, pretty amazing because if you freeze tomatoes whole, um, you can, when you thaw them, the skin comes right off if you want to peel them. Um, And also a lot of the water is expelled um, due to just the process of freezing and thawing. Uh, so, so you, you basically with tomato juice? Well, yeah, you get, you get this juice that actually, I don't use that much, but you get like a nice concentrated tomato flavor. It's as if you boiled the water off, you know, when you put mm-hmm. them in your soup or your sauce or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's a great way to have um, tomatoes around to put uh, in your, you know, whether it's... Uh, you know, a curry or a soup or a quick sauce or whatever. So, yeah. Interesting. So do you wrap them in anything? Uh, we just put them in bags, plastic bags, okay. freezer bags. Yep. That's good. Before we put them in the As freezer. As opposed to just putting a tomato on the shelf in your fr- freezer. I, I have also done that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we, we just, uh, we ran a whole bunch of them through the food processor to to basically chop them up and put them in uh, containers to freeze. Uh, we were very lucky that we un- did end up managing to get a chest freezer this year, uh, which we had wanted very early in the year. And it turns out it's a bad year to want a chest freezer. And I had always, yeah, I had actually <laughs> been wanting a chest freezer this year before the pandemic started. Let's let's be honest. You've been wanting a chest freezer forever, but we've <laughs> been renting up until like the last year and a half. So that's right. So, this was our first option to have a chest freezer. Yeah. So we, we did eventually get one after waiting a long time. And, uh, you know, I mean, major home ownership, first world problems there. So, like, you know, um, had to wait for my chest freezer in the pandemic. But <laughs> um, but but we did eventually get one. And it was nice that, you know, you were just able to put a bunch of produce in there. And the other thing is, is that last year, um, I had gotten really into dehydrating for completely unrelated reasons. Like I had been, I had gotten really interested in the idea of making your own, um, what I was jokingly calling uh, MREs, which, you know, were just like basically dehydrated, uh, dehydrated food that you would like, you know, stick some hot water in a container and, uh, you know, reconstitute like chili out of dry ingredients that you had in a Ziploc bag. And so I got really into that. It's basically camping food. Like yeah, I got and re- and uh, this is in response to being someone who has dietary restrictions and travels for things like conferences and stuff. If you're a vegetarian, you're maybe not able always to find food if you're traveling. Um, 
Especially as internationally. Easily. Yes, yeah. and especially if there's a language barrier. Yeah, so I had just gotten into that, and, and of course, dehydrating is another excellent way to preserve food. So that was kind of fortuitous that, you know, when we had all these extras of greens and stuff like that, you know, you can just dehydrate them. And uh, it's kind of like freezing where the process of dehydrating them uh, makes it so that they cook a little bit faster. Though for a lot of things, they also rehydrate faster if you pre-cook them, like if you had steamed them or whatever. Um, so anyway, getting into that was kind of fun and also convenient. So it allowed us to also waste less food um, by doing that, basically. Um, yeah. So um, so yeah, we're we're not really doing canning yet at this point, mainly because I have not done enough reading on how to do it safely, and I'm a hypochondriac who's deathly afraid of getting can, botulism. Can you tell <laughs> the botulism story on air, Chris? Are you willing to do that? Okay, I'll do it. It's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> it is pretty funny, story. though. Uh, I, it starts off with me traveling for a conference and right. not being home, because this travel. would not have gotten this crazy Problem if I was one. home. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Problem a number lot. one, leaving Chris unsupervised. <laughs> A lot of problems happen in such circumstances. Yes, that's right. Um, so what happened was, uh, yes, I was alone at home. And I I said, you know, um, I think I'm going to make a big old pot of bean soup because I love bean soup. Uh, I've got this family bean soup recipe that I've kind of modified to make it vegetarian. And, and I'm like, yeah, and I've got these beans that have been sitting around here, the dried beans. So I'm going to I'm going to put them on the stove to soak. And I think I put them on like maybe even a day or so before Morgan left. And then it had been, you know, it had actually been, I think like three days that I had left them on the stove or maybe two days, like longer than you're supposed to leave them on the stove. But, it's but probably not, not like a month. Yeah. It's not like a month, but it's probably not dangerous. But anyway, then I saw on the stove that they were like bubbling, just sitting on the stove. And I'm like, Oh no, they've probably gone bad. And I like tasted it. Being, I'm like, it doesn't seem bad. And I'm like, well, it's probably going to go bad if I don't do something with it right now. So I'm going to make that bean soup right now. So I made the bean soup, and then I ate it. And then I was like, well, what if, like, maybe that was a dumb idea. <laughs> They're just sitting there bumbling. And, you know, I could have been done something dumb, like giving myself botulism. And then in the moment I thought that to myself, <laughs> I was like, <gasps> what if I give myself botulism? <laughs> and then, like... I like, and then you were like, I can't feel my face. I went on a walk to calm myself down. And then on the walk, I kept touching my face. And I'm like, I feel like I'm not feeling my face. And I'm like, <gasps> I've given myself botulism. <laughs> like my face, is, my face is like, it's like going numb. Oh my God. And so then I, I went back into the house and like I dialed 911. And, and, and at this point, the uh, fire station was like our backyard butted up with the backyard of the fire station. So I hear a fire truck sirens go on and it exit <laughs> the station and drive to the other end of the block. Like halfway around the block. And the fire, you know, the, the firefighters the come out. Yeah. Or they, they, and I like come downstairs and they're like, Oh, we're here for somebody who has a cage of botulism. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. And they're like, do you have a case of botulism? And I'm like, I don't know. I think, I was thinking maybe it was likely because I felt like my face was going numb, but maybe, maybe it's not. And they're like, okay, buddy, you can tell us you won't be in any trouble. Have you been doing the drugs? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, 
no, I'm extremely boring. I don't do any drugs. And they're like, they're like, no, 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 no. You can tell us you're not going to be in trouble. And I'm like, no, I'm just really paranoid about my body. Like, I... <laughs> they just were like, okay, buddy, and they just left. But then I oh. felt extra foolish. But uh, yeah, that's my that's my uh, paranoia over botulism story. Not that related to gardening. But it is related to <laughs> but preservation. But it's why we haven't been stuff. doing canning. Yeah, yeah. I'm also Chris afraid is of, afraid of giving botulism. I am afraid of it, but I I'll, I'll probably get over it. But I will like normally when I do re- cooking, I'm like very free form. But like with canning, if you're doing long term shelf like pressure canning, my understanding is you have to be much more careful about recipes frequently. It's true. Yep. Yeah, we actually. Yeah. Um, had a um here i'll I'll scare you now so oh (laughs) oh no not really i'm just kidding i'm just kidding but we had we uh we canned some corn this year um and we used our pressure canner and um we so we you know we we cut the corn off the cobs and we packed it into the jars and um poured boiling water over it and then put it in the pressure canner and turned it you know turn it on and set the pressure and blah 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 all the you know, follow all the directions and the timing and blah, 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 blah. And then like three days later, we were like, oh, wait, did we like? Uh, and there's this little detail that you might not know if you've never used a pressure canner, but you have to leave the weight off at first to let all of the air escape and be replaced by steam. Uh-huh. And then you put the weight on. And at that moment, you start the timer. And I had started the timer um, as soon as, because I, I had just put the weight on it, and I started the timer as soon as the weight started jiggling. And that's uh, not correct. Mm. And we actually, um, after hemming and hawing about it for like weeks, we just uh, emptied them out and dumped it all out in the compost. Probably the right call. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's better to not get botulism. Because you can't smell or taste botulism, right? Like, it's just like... Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's also... It, it, it's also, it might make your cans bulgy. <laughs> it's also um, better not to be worrying about it, you know? Yeah. yeah. I don't like worrying about things, so... Yeah. 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 Yep. So, but that's yeah. pressure canning, which is, which is a lot more complicated than... Um, regular water bath regular water bath canning but but you're there are some things you can't do in water bath canning like you can't just like not everything can be made shelf stable by water bath basically yeah and it's all dependent on the acidity of the food yeah so like corn for example is basically no acid at all and so that's why we were pressure canning the corn um tomatoes are um almost almost always a safe acidity level but it's typical to add a little extra acidity with um some citric acid or lemon juice just to be sure that it's safe Mm. Uh, but it's probably not really necessary 99 out of 100 times but we do Mm -hmm. it we do anyway we add a little citric acid Mm -hmm. according to the recipe the like usda recipe Yeah, botulism is actually quite uncommon in the United States. Yeah, well, I think canning is fairly uncommon in the United States right now. Like That's true. I feel like there's a niche group of people who do canning, and then 
most people just buy their canned goods from a store. That's true. Yeah. So, so I think, um, so yeah, I mean, so we basically just experimented with a number of food things this year. Definitely had the biggest success with, you know, that giant tomato crap. And we had a really good success with, uh, potatoes too. Oh, potatoes. Yeah. That was another thing where we were like, let's just see what happens. Like, um, because, because we had a, uh, like I said, the contractors demolished everything, but then they didn't, they weren't able to put things back up because the pandemic halted construction. So one of the things that they uh, demolished was we had this uh, this old uh, basketball, basketball hoop. hoop in our driveway or next to our driveway, and they pulled that out, which left this, I'd say, maybe... 24 inch by 36 inch hole that was just about, you know, four inches deep. And it went right through the line that the fence was going to be put up when the fence was reconstructed. Um, but in the meantime, we had this hole and we were like, well, we, we don't know how long they're going to be uh, out, unable to do construction. And we've got like three potatoes that are getting full of eyes in the kitchen right now and getting a little bit on the edge for if we were to actually cook with them. So why don't, and we've got just a little bit of compost left over from one of those bags. So we just filled in the, that couple inches of, uh, with, uh, with potting soil and compost and cut three potatoes into, in halves and ended up with something like, 30 potatoes that uh, when they started construction, we dug up our potatoes a little bit early, so they were kind of fingerling potatoes. But we ended up with a pretty good haul for, well, these potatoes are going bad, and we've got a hole in the ground, so... It was a mix. Some of them were very tiny, like almost pebble-sized, and some of them were like fingerling size, and some of them were as big as the potatoes we had put in the ground. Like, it was like surprising, yeah. the range of potatoes that we got. But it was kind of fun digging them up. It was like finding ground eggs basically yeah it's a scavenger hunt <laughs> yeah yeah um so speaking of eggs uh one of the things that i th- i think is uh i'm jealous of um as in terms of you all having it but i'm not sure if i'm jealous of doing extra work like I, i'm like very de- debating with myself like oh like that sounds like like a, a really cool thing but i'm also like eh, i don't want to clean up any more poop basically uh but like you all have ducks and we we have a duck picture and we might put on this episode that morgan took uh, uh, of chris lounging with the ducks <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we came over and visited uh so so you all you all have some ducks that you recently got and i think you had chickens at a previous time though it sounds like you like the ducks better uh do you are you interested in talking about uh duck having yeah so we've had chicken or ducks poultry for oh probably about 10 years also on and off and this year we decided to get some ducks and it's been really cool having ducks one of our motivations for getting ducks was that well a couple of things quite quite a few things so uh, one of them is that ducks can be quieter i say can be because it's they're quite vocal actually but they're less loud when they are vocal uh, and chickens make what is sometimes called the egg song, which is when they're laying an egg, they just go, and it's actually really loud. 
Uh, yeah. Ducks don't do that when they're laying eggs. They just lay eggs. They're just like, I laid an egg. Done. Um, <laughs> but they're actually really quite vocal, but they're not they're not as loud as the chickens. They're more, it more feel like they're walking around and just kind of like muttering. Yeah, they kind of just mutter all day. Yeah. In chorus. Yeah. So, and the other reason is that uh, they are more consistent layers. So a chicken uh, will lay, uh, a, a young chicken will lay almost year round, um, but in the winter taper off. And then a, a more mature chicken, it's a couple years old, will stop laying in the winter. Uh, unless you really go out of your way uh, with setting up lights uh, in the coop um, and, uh, you know, other tricks and things like that. Uh, whereas are these like heat lights or just no light just lights? light light uh which extends the apparent length of the day for the chickens uh. yeah, to fool them into thinking it's not winter <laughs> it's like a sad Take light that, right it's like a seasonal affect <laughs> disorder light yeah. for your chickens yeah a happy light a happy for light your for your chicken yeah <laughs> so uh ducks ducks will lay through the year and the other thing is that ducks will lay for longer in their lifetime than chickens will um, so those are some good benefits. And then also, um, I have found at least, at least with the breed of ducks that we're raising now, which are called Ancona uh, ducks, they are really serious foragers. They forage all day and to a degree that I, that I have never seen chickens forage. They are just constantly um, sifting through the grass uh, and the leaves and the sticks and whatnot in the, in the yard. Uh, and that's probably eliminating quite a few garden pests in the process. Yes, and that is another benefit, is that they are eliminating garden pests, uh, one of which is my least favorite, which is deer ticks, um, as well as slugs. Um, so if you have a slug problem, uh, you don't have a slug problem. It's just a duck shortage, as they say. <laughs> so we have a strawberry patch that does uh, develop some slug problems in the summer some years especially wet wet years and um uh, my understanding is that ducks help with this in part because the slugs love duck poop <laughs> <laughs> so they'll they'll go to wherever the ducks are and then the ducks will eat them and ducks love Excellent. slugs so it's just a match made in heaven yeah, oh, great. not for the slugs. Not for the slugs. <laughs> I mean, well, maybe think... for maybe briefly when they're like, yeah, oh, they get poop. lured in. Yeah, for a second, it looks like a good deal, but no. <laughs> um. So, so I guess so. It that's kind of a trade-off in a decision, though, right? Though, because it's like, I mean, oh yeah, I haven't I talked like about the downsides cert- of ducks yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, like if if your plants, if you neglect your plants, I don't feel like it's that unethical. But if you neglect your ducks, that's pretty unethical. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. No, you have to take care of them every day. Got to get up. And that is um, a big commitment. So every morning, first thing, I go outside and I let them out. And I change their... And one of the things is they need water, a little duck pool. It's just a kiddie pool. And I feed them uh, and collect the eggs and then wash the eggs. And then at night... Um, I shut their duck house door uh, to protect them from predators. And um, if I don't do that, um, they would probably get eaten. They they would get eaten um, by predators. Yeah, so, good. which has happened on occasions where I forgot to close the door with uh, my our chickens. So, 
um, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, they they are funny. Your ducks, as far as we've seen, with yeah. them going to to bed, because like you said that that like uh, some some birds do kind of put themselves to bed, and some of them you have to actually like really like herd the birds to bed, basically. But these ones kind of herded themselves, right? Like, yeah. Um, which I, I've read that ducks don't usually go to bed by themselves. And by go to bed, I mean go in the duck house. Um, chickens have a really strong roosting instinct and will go straight in the coop, you know, as soon as the sun goes down. Um, but I guess ducks, not so much. But the good news is that our ducks, um, for whatever reason, go most nights go into the duck house. Though two nights ago, they did not. They were just standing there in the dark. Like a bunch of jerps just sitting there. I was like, come on, guys. Got to go to bed. Time to go to bed. And it's cold out here. Yeah. Is it is it difficult to herd them to bed when they don't want to go? Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so like having children that don't want to go to bed. Yeah. Ducks are, ducks are a little... I mean, chickens, too, are hard to herd. It's... Yeah. It's like herding ducks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, they get, they get like, if they get spooked, you have to be very patient about it. Cause if you try, if you go too fast, they'll get spooked and then like run around you or like go run some other direction. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When we were, when we were visiting, um, one of the ducks got startled and then all of the ducks, after they had already gone <laughs> to bed, then they all just started like freaking yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> Quack- we, we heard a, we heard a clank, and then we heard for like fifteen minutes. Yeah, <laughs> they do have a lot of personality. It's pretty cute. They, they, I, I was, you know, actually, that was the, that was the main thing that made me like, you know, I, it's the, the desire to Pokemon, right? Like capture the animals. Like you're like you encounter these animals, and they're so cute, and you're like, ah. Oh, I gotta I have like these to have animals them around all. all the time. Yeah, and like that's not actually a good idea uh, to just have <laughs> animals because they're cute necessarily. Like, because <laughs> you have to weigh it against the oh, do you want to take care of these animals? Yeah. And I guess, I guess the advantage of something like ducks is that you get pet fruit, right? Like, it's like <laughs> pet fruit. <laughs> I like that. Right? Yeah. Like, Cats don't leave you food. No, they just piss yeah. on your stuff. Or at least not food that you want. Sometimes cats will leave you like rodents oh, true, that are dead. True. That they think they're giving you food, but no. <laughs> nah. Yeah, I would say that keeping ducks or chickens uh, is probably like about as big of a commitment as having a dog, basically. Mm-hmm. So... Um, is it like as big of a commitment per duck or does it like kind of scale a little bit? Yeah, no, it doesn't matter like how many, like, I mean, <laughs> well, probably to, to a, a degree. Point. Yeah, I guess I should say, but it's not per duck. <laughs> you got, a, it's, you got 30 ducks. Yeah, no, it's, That's going to be really difficult if they don't put themselves to bed. I mean, to say having, having a few ducks is about like having a dog. <clears throat> yeah. In terms of sense. responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they are interesting characters. Uh, they, they were fun to see um i mean it's partly i think as a person who walks around and mutters to themselves all the time <laughs> i feel like i feel like i have a lot in common with those ducks <laughs> so um we're getting close to the hour mark and uh i just want to bring this back why are we talking about gardening on a podcast about free software free culture and crafting things Oh yeah. 
Um, and I think there's an obvious crafting component. Uh, so, for example, I just spent about a week building a cold frame um, so that we could do a winter garden. So um, there's an aspect of, you know, building something in order, you know, for a long-term goal. Wait, before, you... before we go any further, you need to explain what this is, like, before we end this show, because this is, you didn't want to do this episode until you had finished building your cold frame because you were That's so excited true. about it. So please explain to our audience what this cold frame is, because I feel like you deserve it, especially after the massive amount of time and effort you put into it. Well, maybe not massive, but it was significant. There was a massive amount of effort. <laughs> there was blood and sweat, but no tears. <laughs> um, and uh, so... There are multiple ways that you can do a winter garden, which uh, Tristan explained earlier what a winter garden is. Um, one way that uh, I tried to do first is you can set up like some sort of hoop or frame structure and then use um, like plastic sheeting or protective sheeting over it to keep the area that uh, your winter crops are warm and maybe you can't keep it above freezing for the whole winter but you keep it at a reasonable level so that the plants don't die um the problem is i realized that the first frost was happening about the same week that my dissertation uh draft was due and i had no time so i just ordered a kit online and uh that lasted until the first snow and then just totally collapsed. Uh -huh. <laughs> so yeah. that didn't it was work. A, it was like these cheap hoops. It was almost like extended hula hoops that you just stuck into the ground. They yeah. were cut in half that you... They were plastic. It was... And you threw a, a thing over there. And it's actually not far away from what Tristan and Libby have, except that theirs seems good. And, well, Tristan, uh, would you like to describe what you use? Uh, well, uh, just an anecdote that... Um, my first, what we call low tunnel, which is hoops with <laughs> plastic over it, uh, met yeah. the same fate. It collapsed yeah. in the snow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so engineering them is, uh, is a bit of a challenge in New England because uh, of the snow. Yeah. But yeah, so we have, um, we have a set of hoops that um, are made of metal and we drive them into the ground and then... Um, yeah, we, we put uh, greenhouse plastic over them and then weigh them down. Um, and if we're feeling ambitious, we also run a uh, a, a line, uh, a rope over the top of them, um, tying them down at each end mm. uh, for extra yeah. support. But we haven't done that in a year yeah. or two. So. so so that so that they don't just turn into a big wind tunnel that lifts off the ground. Yeah, so that the so that the plastic doesn't sag in the middle between yeah. each hoop, you know? Yeah. With the weight of the the ice and snow and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But with that with that approach you have to very frequently like move like un like basically untent them. Yeah. And retent them. To get in there. Right? Yep, it's true. Yep. Yes. So Morgan, so, Morgan wanted to do the put a lot of effort in up front and right. then less effort later idea. Yeah. So what I did was I built a cold frame and I got um, 36 by 48 inch sheets of plexiglass, one eighth 
inch thick plexiglass, clear plexiglass. And I built a wooden frame that is eight inches tall on one side, and then there's a 48 inch long uh, side, and then it's uh, 12 inches tall on the other side uh, so that the plexiglass is sloped because, again, uh, it snows here and there's ice. So we didn't want it flat where the snow would just um, put a bunch of weight on that plexiglass and potentially collapse it. Um, and then I built this wooden frame and you still have to open it up sometimes. So one, to access your food because it wouldn't be terribly useful to have food that lasts all winter if you can't get to it. And two, um, if it's too warm outside and you've got the basically the idea of a cold frame is to keep those plants warm enough that they won't die. Um, but if it's too warm and especially with plexiglass, uh, it can kind of have a uh, magnifying glass effect if, you, if it's too hot and sunny and get it too hot inside the frame. So on warm days, you have to open it up and ventilate. And um, so it's actually the those, greenhouse effect. If I could interject. It is. Yes. It's it's basic. A cold frame is basically a little tiny greenhouse, except the walls are only 10 to 12 inches high <laughs> as opposed to, you know, people sized. Um, so. Yeah, I built this frame and since. None of the beds that we had this year are going to be our permanent beds because like we said, we were just doing construction on the exterior of our house and we plan on planting um, in the area where the beds that we put down this year are, we plan on planting uh, fruit trees. So next year I plan on making some raised beds so that we don't have as much as many problems with uh grass infringing because this year basically we just had one board thickness and height um, and it was really easy for grass to get over that <laughs> um, so when I built the cold frames I built them for this space that we already had but I built it in such a way that basically I've got four cold frames kind of like pieced together in quarters and when I build the raised beds next year I'm just going to build uh, 36 by 48 inch raised beds and then come next winter I'll just be able to take the same uh, cold frames that I built and they'll fit directly on top of the raised beds nice yeah so crafting um, is definitely applicable to gardening uh, in that you can build these structures and also there's a certain level of craft to gardening as well right yeah I, um, I like to think of every tomato as something that you have crafted or yes. every carrot or whatever, yeah. It's also like a certain amount that you can decide how much you want to put into it. Like part of the reason we want to plant fruit trees is because eventually, like we want to start having a certain amount of output that we have to think less about and then have other things that we do are willing to put more energy in. So you can kind of scale certain things around how much work you want to do, but there's probably always going to be more work than you expect, I think. Well, and the way that we did our fruit producing uh, plants this year, too, is we never went out and, like, harvested our fruit. It's just we would go out, like, in the mornings and take, like, a walk around 
And we'd be like, oh, quick, there's three blueberries that are ripe. We would pick those and eat them before the rabbits and the birds got them. So that's the other thing with uh, with our fruit plants and fruit trees is we can do the lazy way where we just eat them as they grow ripe instead of trying to have a whole harvest. There's also kind of a, like, we should be clear that there is a certain amount of privilege that's also involved oh, yeah. in being able to do gardening. Although I think Tristan also indicates that maybe, um, maybe there, the availability to do some gardening is more open to more people than probably expected, even if I guess they're violating the, uh, yeah. <laughs> the rental you agreement. Can, you can have an anarchist <laughs> garden at your, uh, <laughs> at your apartment complex. <laughs> That uh, breaks the rules. (laughs) Yeah, I think it is a real issue, though. Um, And actually, uh, Libby and I have been involved in several uh, efforts to create community gardens on spaces where people can garden um, if uh, they, they can't at home, you know? And one of our plans this year, if we had gotten the correct amount of compost, is we were going to have the beds that we wanted to grow our own stuff and then offer beds to uh, people we know who don't have their own lawns in the area Mm -hmm. so that they could grow things as well. But then we didn't have enough compost and therefore that didn't end up happening. (laughs) So, so I guess as we um, wrap this up, so we talked about kind of the craft side of things. Is there kind of a, so I'm going to use FOSS very broadly here, like in the kind of user freedom sense of things that we also think about free culture and other types of things. Like, is there a kind of user freedom-ish or any kind of freedom-ish component to gardening? Uh, I, I think, Tristan, you you indicated kind of pre-show that you had some thoughts on this. Yeah, I think there really is uh, for a couple of reasons, um, some intersection here. So for me personally... Um, one of my interests with gardening is to kind of, I don't know what the verb is, but just like unlock the mystery of the food you see at a grocery store yeah. and make it something that you have more control over and more agency or freedom in, in uh, you know, making those things come to be. Um, you're, you're verifying uh, the reproducibility and the bootstrapping process of the, uh, <laughs> the, the builds that you're getting, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, I, and like for me, growing up, um, I feel like I was kind of constantly, it was constantly communicated to me like, you know, here's your food, don't ask where it came from. And I have always been dissatisfied with the answer of like, oh, well, it just comes from the farm or the grocery store or whatever. Uh, I wanted mm-hmm. to know more. And so growing your own food, yeah, like gives you gives you a hand in that process and learning about where it comes from and that it's not this sort of like kind of pre-given thing that you have no like agency in. And actually I have to say like we grow uh, varieties of things that you can't get at the store uh, that we prefer, you know, in our garden. Um, and we, we grow, and even if you have, you know, a CSA, you know, from a local farm, uh, we are able to grow kale throughout the year and have kale coming from our garden, uh, when a CSA would not be offering it. 
so we can we can grow um and and you know we've we've had csas and you know uh that that's an that's a area where we we have um kind of like customized or catered our production you know to our own tastes and needs um with season extension like i was mentioning with winter gardening but also in varieties like like we really love uh green beans and so we grow a lot of green beans uh and green beans are kind of expensive from the grocery store and our csa when we had a csa never carried them so uh it's another you know it's another example of where we can grow you know stuff that we want uh and and it also goes beyond that in terms of um being able to participate in um, uh, heirloom uh, seed cultivation and keeping varietals alive that maybe commercial farmers are less mm-hmm. interested in. Um, so you can you can uh, get seeds from seed savers uh, and you can trade seeds with other people in your area or you can purchase seeds from seed banks uh, and grow those varieties um, that commercial production just has not been interested in keeping alive. Uh, and that makes us, uh, that gives us more freedom also as a community, um, not just individuals, uh, because we're keeping these varietals alive um, and uh, developing sort of what they call like seed sovereignty so that we're not totally dependent on those varietals that commercial yeah. uh, farmers are using. So that was kind of a nice place to end on. So I'm going to ruin it by pulling it back to uh by not okay. ending by not ending but it's because i think there's something really extra important here because I, I feel like you were ending on a really positive and, and hopeful note but i think i i want to kind of contrast that with a reason that like something that is very traditionally free and open source software related which is like if we wanted to go on the polar opposite of all of this on polar opposite of like seed saving and like kind of the community aspect of everything like that like um Right. gene patents on on food yeah right like on anything but especially on like mm-hmm. on food it's like are ridiculous right like you're you're patenting the code of life and you know the, there's there's also the other aspects if you combine that with uh pesticides and you know there's a whole debate around that but i think what really disturbs me is intellectual restrictions laws on the patterns of life that that really troubles me and many much of the food we eat today are increasingly covered under gene patents and i find that really troubling yeah yeah we we try to avoid using patented varieties um uh, what's interesting it makes it a more complex issue in the fact that so often the patented varieties are also like actually just evil yeah. in their own nature. So often, <laughs> not always, but so often they're designed for higher levels of mechanization uh, in the field or resistance to pesticides, like or you mentioned. seedless. Um, yeah, or seedless, um, but basically in ways that are in a lot of a lot of ways uh harmful to people or animals or other plants um but there yeah but there are there are varietals that um actually we as farmers would be interested in uh, as backyard farmers um and i think it's interesting that they are being patented um for example um a variety of grape that we would like to grow in our backyard is patented by cornell university 
Um, and I think that I, I haven't really researched this, but my sense is that patenting is part of their business model um, as a university to um, to you know continue to bring in money um, as uh, as vineyards you know use their grapes. Um, and I, but I, I suspect that um, it's not necessary that they do it that way, um, but that it's probably just a lot easier because they're there's just not enough funding for that kind of yeah, research and anymore. Cornell is a private institution, right? So like public institutions that are using government funds, so like state universities, I, I don't actually know if mm -hmm. they would be able to patent something they, like that. I think they can. I think that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I think that they do. Yeah. yeah believe it or not. Uh, sadly, yeah. sadly, Which I mean, is well, crazy. I think that the thing is, is that, um, there is not enough of a public discourse about these kinds of like, you know, you might have like certain things are, are like, you know, the federal government um, is not able to itself copyright. And I don't think patent things, you know, but the it, individual um, contractors and I think state government uh, offices and, and, and that various offshoot, from those types of things often are able to participate in those things and oftentimes pressure those who are participating, like who work under them to, to maximize that kind of stuff as well, which is disappointing. And I think it's not how we should be structured. If you're a, if you're an institution for the public good, then, you know, you should be trying to maximize the public good. But I suspect I'm kind of preaching to the choir, both as in terms of who are on this call and probably <laughs> listening to the show. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, th so I thought this was really great. Um, uh, Tristan, do you, are there any thoughts that you want to kind of close out with, or Morgan, or I, I think I've I've covered the things that I'm particularly interested in in this episode. I think I would just want to say, if you're thinking about gardening, um, the the advice I'd give you is to um, know that um, you're probably going to have some wins and some loses, and uh, be okay with that. And try lots of different things um, and see how it goes, uh, knowing that, um, you know, it's it's a it's a I, I consider it a like a life skill that takes many yeah. years uh, to get comfortable with, like any anything else in life. Um, and so uh, but it, it doesn't mean uh, that you're a failure if, because you're uh, because you didn't manage to get your leaks to grow this year. Yeah. So even if you had some frustrating experiences this year, you should and maybe do it again maybe next try year. a few different yep. things at once, and some yeah. of them will succeed, and some won't. Yeah, try lots of yeah. things. Also, yep. um, a loss isn't always the loss that you think it is. Like we had uh, mm. some some plants that like we planted and they died, and we had just given up on them, and then they just regrew. Yeah. Are you uh, thinking about the, the, the chamomile? That's the awesome. chamomile, the, yeah. Like it looked dead dead and then it just apparently <laughs> it had seeded and that, that's before actually, it died. That's actually a story of uh going from the foraging yeah. to a local like we found some there's a pineapple chamomile. It's a kind of uh weed that grows around here. Delicious. Oh, yeah. It tastes like pineapple and chamomile. And yeah, it we were like great tea. Yeah, we were like, we like this, we want this to start growing here in our garden and we tried to transplant and it so it we died. found some growing like by the road yeah and we <laughs> transplanted like, it and this. it all died 
it all died. And then, and then it just started <laughs> growing again. Yeah. So like you don't you don't really know. And if you're willing to come in with all this, I mean, I think that the really liberating thing um, to tie it all the way back to the beginning, the really liberating thing about having uh, done what I did with what we called the sad patch and then renamed the resurrection patch when it turned out it actually succeeded. Um, and right now we just call it the winter garden. Yeah, now we just call it the winter garden. But it was, you know, <laughs> from sad patch to resurrection patch to the winter garden, um, like, you know. The having done something that you are just pretty confident is going to fail, but you just want to see what happens. Well, it's hard to be too disappointed by any of the results. So, like, you know, approaching things as an experiment, you're likely to find out something interesting in that process. There's also yeah, one sure. more thing that I would like to say, or I guess maybe two more things. One, uh, both of them around the idea of privilege and gardening. Uh, one, we talked about what you do when you have a surplus of produce from your garden, and one of the obvious answers to that is to share it with other people who need food. Um, so if you have the privilege of having a garden and you have more food than you can eat, you can always share that with other people who may be in need. Um, and then the second thing is... There's a lot of stuff that you can grow without having to buy seeds, like the potatoes that were almost on the edge of being spoiled, and then we got 30 new potatoes out of them. Or um, I have a friend who is just telling me about the avocado tree that she's growing from just like an avocado pit uh, that she got from an avocado from the supermarket. Um, and sprouts. And, and sprouts, definitely sprouts. Also... Uh, we were transferring some uh, some lentils from a bag into a jar, and like maybe a tablespoon's worth of lentils just spilled on the ground while we were transferring them. And we had not swept the floor recently. It was pretty. And gross. we had not swept the floor recently, and we were like, "Well, we're not going to eat those ones." But we just gathered them up and put them out and buried them in the ground, and then we've got lentils growing in our in our garden um nice. so there are things there are things that you can just like take food that you have or maybe food that you thought was just written off as garbage and throw things out of it as well yeah. and also uh touching on the privilege uh aspect there's also container gardens if you have an apartment or rooftop access or a uh, balcony or something like that you can always uh grow certain vegetables in pots as well but really i want to re-emphasize sprouts like you can make bean sprouts it doesn't matter what size apartment you have like you can make bean sprouts if you've got a mason jar and and beans basically and like alfalfa seeds or lentils like both really easy make we delicious did, we did sprouts using mustard seeds right those didn't work out as well, but yes. Oh, okay, you can right. Do all those ones got a little bit uh, got a little bit slimy. Yeah, but anyway, seeds, see, or sprouting, sprouting's great, and anybody can do it, and it makes you feel like something's growing, and then you just eat it almost immediately. But anyway, we should really wrap up. This one's uh, over an hour, so I think this is a good time to to to, to end things. So, Tristan, thanks for coming on the show. It was really nice <laughs> having you here. Um, we appreciate your expertise both me. in real life and on our show. And and Tristan's a, a friend <laughs> who knows many interesting things and likes to explore many interesting things. Uh, maybe we can uh, 
get you back on the show to talk about some of your other interests at some future time. Yeah, perhaps free software. Sure. Even. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. All right, well, thanks, everybody. <laughs> Have a good day. Yep, thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Foss and Crafts is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. It's hosted by Morgan Lemmerweber and Christopher Lemmerweber. The intro music is composed by Christopher Lemmerweber, meaning myself, and Milky Tracker, and is released under the same license as the show. The outro music is Enchanted Tiki 86, composed by Alex Smith of The Cynic Project, and is waved into the public domain under CC01.0. See cynicmusic.com for more information. You can get in contact with us on the Fediverse, Foss and Crafts at octodon.social, on Twitter as at Foss and Crafts, or you can email us, podcast at fossandcrafts.org. We also have a chat room. Join our community, hash Foss and Crafts, on irc.freenode.net. If you'd like to support the show, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash c-w-e-b-b-e-r. That's it for this week. Until next time, stay free and stay crafty. Yeah. Is that also your compost fork that you're a fan of, I've heard? Uh, no, this is a regular pitchfork. Ah. This is not a compost fork. Yeah. Please don't ask Tristan about all of his forks. <laughs> Are there a lot of forks? Oh no, you at, you did what you just said not to do. <laughs> yeah, I think you're about to get a fork lecture. I'm kind of excited about a fork lecture. Yeah. It's going to be a great forking lecture. <laughs> Is one of those forks actually a twig? Like a, yeah. <laughs> That's his hay fork. This is my hay fork. It's made out of a branch? Yeah, so we'll start with this one. So when uh, so when you use your scythe, yeah, and you go around, and then it's all down on the ground. The next day, you want to flip it over mm-hmm. so that it dries on the other side and it doesn't rot on the underside. Yep. So you get your two times homemade hay fork. So like this. Oh, oh no. it's, a, it's a few years old. I guess I gotta make a new one. You go through. It's oh. also got its secondary use as a divining rod yeah. in case you need to find water. That's what I yeah. thought it was. <laughs> so, well, anyway. So now you need a new hay. Yeah, now I need a new one. And it can go in the, in the yeah. fire. Yep. Uh, so this is the compost fork. That is oh. a really nice looking fork. AKA in silage fork. Ooh. So why, why is that better for compost than other forks? Well, it's got smaller tines that are closer together. That's right. So if I tried to use this I one. I notice things. If I tried to use this one, see how far apart they are. The compost wouldn't, it would just go straight through it. Yeah. It wouldn't actually pick up any compost. So this is like kind of a, it's the closest thing to a shovel that you can get with tines. Mm-hmm. And then, so you might be wondering, well, why not a shovel? Because the shovel would just go boop it wouldn't be able to go in. So mm-hmm. the tines slide in and then let you lift out. Wow, that, that is my experience with both using a shovel and then also using the more generic fork that we yep. bought. 
Well, that I, I didn't serve yeah. either of those. Exactly, and this is this uh, this is what you it's need. Pretty annoying oh. how many different things you need to do stuff. Yeah, sometimes. I'm also wondering if you could have like a slightly improved version of that that's just got a little bit more weaving on it, so that you have more of a uh, gathering space at the back, but still the tines at the front. Oh, so yeah, basically, like a spork. Yeah. <laughs> Except maybe. a compost spork. An ensilage yeah. spork. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I haven't had an issue with it, you know, falling through. Unless the compost is very dry. Yeah. Yeah. So then we have our turning fork mm -hmm. right here. So this one, the tines are much sturdier mm -hmm. and shorter. And this is for turning earth. Yeah. So like that. We actually don't use this much because we're a no-dig garden. Yeah. Um, but I do use it to turn the compost. So I don't use this one <laughs> turn the compost. I use this one. One for use picking the up the compost. Fork, which is yeah, different than a tuning fork. Yes. We haven't gotten to tuning forks yet. Do you have one of those? A tuning fork? Yes. I would assume so. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I should have brought that one out too. Yeah, and then just also all the silverware. Yeah, and then yeah. also just a fork and a salad fork. <laughs> so this one isn't actually for turning compost, it's for spreading compost. Yeah. Or any or mulch. Any mulch, you know, wood chips, um, compost, you know. I, I just have a suspicion here. Yeah. Are you very particular about your outdoor forks, but very unparticular about your kitchen and dining forks? Oh, Would you know. use a salad fork instead of a dinner fork, or vice versa? I guess I'm not terribly particular indoors about my forks. Yeah. yeah. I, I had a feeling. That we yeah, basically okay. use them interchangeably with yeah. the yeah. indoor forks. You've my got... grandma. My Grandma Jones would be very disappointed in Ooh, me. I find Jones. dessert yeah. forks annoyingly short, so... So finally, we have the pitchfork. Oh, sorry, oh. we interrupted yes. the fork lecture. Um, so the turning fork, I use you for turning... You thought you get out of it that yeah. easy. Nice try. Stop with that spoon nonsense. It's yeah, back yeah, to yeah. forks. <laughs> We're not talking about spoons, we're talking about forks. So this I use to turn the compost. Mm -hmm. And then this is a pitchfork which uh, actually we don't use that much except for gathering the hay after I scythe. Yeah. So picking it all up, putting it in the cart. After it's gathered, you need a hay rake for that. Yeah. Um, and for cleaning out the duck house. Yeah. That pitchforks are for mucking, right? Yeah, for big, you know, you can grab a whole giant wad of Yeah, something you don't want to touch with your hands. Yeah, 